like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people, the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are interviewed with Chief Pricing Educator Mark Stiving. How's it going, Ed? It's going great, Ron. How are you? I am great. How was your week? My week was interesting. I was at the AICPA Engage show, as you know. That was yeah, and you saw Simon Sinek. I did see Simon Sinek. I, well, you know, from from two hundred feet across the room it was right. a big thing. But so you'd be very pleased. This was a this is a direct quote. Ready? Innovation is not efficient. <laughs> the insight of the century. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So oh, yeah, he did awesome. great. but let's get to, let's get to Mark. Really looking forward to talking with Mark. We, we, you and I, well, we, I met him just recently, but you go back quite a ways with him, don't you? Yeah. We were just trying to figure that out a little before we went on air. I, I think I met him back in 2009 or uh, maybe even before that. I don't remember, but Mark Stiving's passion is teaching the power of pricing. So that's something we all have in common. He evangelizes pricing at major conferences and has conducted over 400 days of corporate training around the globe. He maintains a net promoter score on those workshops of 81, which is higher than Apple's. Mark also writes about pricing. His book, Impact Pricing, Your Blueprint for Driving Profits, is highly readable. I've got a copy sitting here in front of me, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, really excited. Mark Stiving, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thanks, Ron and Ed. Love being here. Oh, it's great to have you. Finally, uh, we've been talking about this for a while, and I know you've listened to prior pricing shows we've done and always had comments and, um, I don't know, maybe even areas where we all disagree. So I'm hoping we can have a, a robust conversation. But tell us a little bit about yourself, Mark. How'd you, how'd you get into this strange pricing game, and what were you doing before then? It's a... We have to go back to when I was a kid, and okay. we'll probably end up talking about price endings at some point in time, but I got to say that when I was probably 10, 12 years old, I was at grocery stores seeing how prices would always end in nine, and I couldn't figure that out. I mean, do companies think we're that stupid that we can't figure out what the price really is? And uh, fast forward a whole bunch of years, I find myself in a doctoral program at UC Berkeley. I'm playing with tuna and yogurt data. And I have a chance to say, I wonder if this nine thing really works. And it does. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> we can talk about that later. But uh, but I became a professor. You dissertation on that, right? You're I absolutely did. Yeah. I like to say at one point in time, I was probably the world's expert in price endings. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome, though. That's awesome. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've never heard somebody who played Pricer at the age of 10. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a CPA at 15. That was bad enough. But wow, to go back to 10 years old, <laughs> that's amazing. 
I'm not sure I wanted to be a pricer, but I was so curious. And 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 the, I think the thing that's so fascinating about pricing to me is it's it's a number, it's mathematical, and yet there's all this psychological stuff going on. It's it's hard to figure it all out. It is, isn't it? I mean, when I first got into it, I remember because you know I've got a traditional economics background, and I thought, well, this is just computational. It's good math. But then you start to get into it and you realize there's, there's, this is all psychology. It, it absolutely is, especially when you shift to value-based pricing instead of ugh, cost plus pricing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So in, in the book, Impact Pricing, which you, you, I read back in 2011, which I think was the year it came out. I think you'd send me a copy of it um, when it was published. And one of the things that you write in there, which I really liked, uh, was where you say pricing strategy follows corporate strategy. And uh, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that, that you have to have a strategy and a purpose and a position first, and pricing follows all that. H- how do you find that to be received in the marketplace when you do your workshops? Is that understood, or do you have to kind of make that point pretty forcefully? You know, we teach so much in the workshop that I make the point and then I move on. I don't, I don't get much pushback on it. So everybody's nodding their head. Yeah, I get it. But I think that if I belabored the point longer, I would point out to everybody, they don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) And and the reason is, you know, I don't want to pick on anybody here, but the reason is companies just tend not to have strategies. They don't know what problems their product solves. They don't know what market segments they serve. Uh, how how could they possibly know the value of their products? It it's amazes me. Right now, that's a really good point. And we we've been spending more time on strategy because it's so important and the precursor to the pricing. Um, you also wrote something, and we can talk about the three pricing strategies. I think we did a show, and you gave us some feedback on you know skim, neutral, and penetration. Um, but what about you? You wrote that pricing is not a sustainable competitive advantage, except if you're a low price leader, such as Walmart. Can you explain that? Sure. In, by the way, you guys are allowed to disagree with me at any point in time. I love having conversations and figuring out what makes sense. Uh, but when I say pricing is not a sustainable competitive advantage, um, I'm essentially saying you can't pick a price and then compete on that price. You have to have something else, and the price is there to capture your value. The only time price is driving the strategy is if you're going to say, look, I'm going to be the low price leader, and the strategy has to be, we're going to drive costs out of the system so that we can maintain that really low price. If you look at Walmart, their entire business, the people who go to work every day, not at the stores, but at at headquarters, they're trying to figure out how do we get more cost out of the distribution channel? Because if we don't, someone's going to come along and beat us in price, and then they'll lose their positioning. Right. And Mark, this reminds me, as you were talking about that, uh, we did an interview with Dr. Jules Goddard from the UK, and he brought up this massive survey. You're probably familiar with it. I forget the name, but it was in HBR. I think it was researchers from Deloitte. They undertook this massive study, and they basically found that there's only room for one or two low price leaders in kind of each sector. And what's been your what's been your experience with the using price as a competitive advantage, such as Walmart or Southwest Airlines? It, it, that's a very very difficult strategy, isn't it? 
Uh, it's it's ridiculously hard. It isn't a fun place to play. And those are not the companies that would hire you or me, right? Those are the companies that are always focused on operations. How do we keep costs down? And they're going to do a cost plus. Maybe they'll modify it a little bit because they can get more value on some pieces. But to them, it's really driving down cost. So they don't need us to understand value. Right, right. And when and when you consult with companies, when you look at that skim neutral penetration, where do you usually land or what do you usually recommend to people? I know it varies by company and circumstance, but where's the bulk of it usually end? If I could choose, it would almost always be skimming. <laughs> right. <laughs> because this is where we're, you know, when I talk to companies, what we're trying to do is figure out how do we create more value in the marketplace? And we create value. We want to capture that value with higher prices. I would always be trying to figure out how do I get to the higher end? Now we can't all be Rolexes or BMWs or things, but we could always be at the higher end of our Toyota marketplace. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense for us to be more on the higher end side. However, I also think that the skim neutral um, penetration changes dramatically based on where you are in the product life cycle. Right. As a general rule, when a product first comes out, they're probably more on the penetration side because we're trying to gain market share um, early on as a market is maturing. Um, the market share battle is really important because once a market matures, it's really hard to move market share. And once you get to that level of maturity, then you should be really thinking about how do I either, I'm certainly going to go to neutral pricing, if not figuring out how to skim the marketplace at that point in time. Right. You know, one of the things Ed and I love to talk about is kind of the fool's gold in business is this just mindless pursuit of market share at almost all costs. Do you find that to be a constant battle with some executives that just think that growth for the sake of growth is the way to go? Uh, I'm lucky that I don't see that, but I think it's because everybody who knows me knows me as pricing. And you don't bring me in to do pricing to, get, to gain market share. You do me in, you bring me in to gain pricing for margin, for profitability. Right, right. Is that, what's that read, hold, and line I love? Um, innovate for growth and price for profit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> uh, that's the, the, you know, the default, uh, default purpose of marketing is to increase profit, not to increase market share, which I don't think is that well understood. Still, to this day, we see so many companies, even smaller businesses, pursue market share at almost all costs. Well, boy, back in the late 90s, remember when everybody was going for eyeballs and eyeballs was what was going to drive valuation? Mm -hmm. And there's still some of that mentality that goes on. You can kind of even see that with Uber and Lyft to some extent. I mean, they're just piling loss after loss because they think there's some winner-take-all market, but there really isn't in that space. There's no reason that one of those two is going to beat the other. They're both going to come out ahead. So why they're not, um, what's the word, not colluding, um, <laughs> at least cooperating. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Competing been, less aggressively. <laughs> what's been your experience with helping companies avoid price wars? That's a really interesting question. I don't see price wars that often. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I can't say that I have helped companies avoid them. My, one of my favorite quotes or uh, statistics comes from Simon Kucher Partners. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a study they did, uh, I think it was in 2012, but it was, I'm just going to make the numbers up, but they're pretty close to accurate. It was something like 56% of companies um, thought they were in a price war. And 88% of those companies said the other guy started it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like every law firm I've ever been in said, that, oh, the other lawyers are a pain in the butt, but I've never met the pain in the butt lawyer. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and so what I usually do when I'm, when I'm talking to companies is I make sure they realize, look, if you see aggressive pricing from your competition, it doesn't mean that they're in a price war with you. It's, they're probably doing the exact same thing you're doing. Uh, remember how you gave a big discount because you really needed that deal? Well, put yourself in your competitor's shoes. What did they just see you do? They just saw you compete on price. Right, right. And, and just, I know we've only got a minute left, Mark, but just real quick, do you think the reduction in the number of price wars that we do see is largely the result of pricing being taken more seriously and moved into the C-suite of companies? Absolutely. I think that companies are starting to hire pricing people. Executives are starting to understand that pricing is such a valuable lever to them. And yet, as you watch these companies, pricing is so hard because it touches every single department in a company. Everybody cares a lot. And and it's hard to give the control of pricing to one person. Right. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that because I find that whole aspect very interesting. Should pricing be centralized or more decentralized? And I know that's an ongoing debate and we'll get into that more. But in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, send an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Also check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
You're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are talking today with pricing educator Mark Stiving, and we were... Uh, just one of the things that Mark did his dissertation on back in in uh, college. I was it was that your PhD, Mark? That was my PhD. Yes. PhD. Okay. Awesome. So should we call, we should call you Doctor? I guess, huh? It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, it w- was price endings, and let me tell you a quick story about price endings with me. You're, it's not as good as your ten year old story, so I'm not trying to one up you. But my wife and I went out to dinner. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And this is after I had met Baker and, you know, was fascinated by this whole pricing thing. And I'm, I'm looking at this menu and I'm noticing that the appetizers are priced and they're all like, you know, 95, it's like nine ninety five, right? But the entrees are flat price. It's like 30 with a line, right? And I'm looking at this and I'm studying the, the menu and I'm like, and so, I, so I turn to my wife and I say, I don't get this. I don't understand like what's going on here. And she looks at me and goes, can we just have dinner? Can we, can we, can we just eat? Is it okay if you eat? Wait, way to ruin a good analytical moment. <laughs> So, so as I know you would probably be as fascinated with that as I am, right? It's like, okay, so <laughs> I'll commiserate with you. We can do marital therapy together. There we uh, go. <laughs> what's, what's going on with this price endings thing? Because like your 10-year-old self, I always thought it was absolute BS. Still do. So tell, tell me why I'm wrong. Um, okay. Well, first off, the research tells us that we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but but let me start with the basics, and that is that we see nine prices that end in nine as prices that are good deals or on sale, and we actually see prices that end in zero as prices that are high quality or uh, let's just say high quality. We'll leave it at that. Now, there's a lot of research that shows that we have this this thing in our head that says that's the case. Now, there's no way we were born with that. That's not wired into our brains. That had to be learned somehow. The question then becomes, well, how did we learn that? And how did that make sense? What ended up happening uh, for me was I had access to that uh, tuna and yogurt and, and uh, what was the other one? Ketchup data. And it was pretty awesome because I just put, <laughs> I just put a single ver- variable in that said, hey, if it ends in nine, we're going to count it as a one. And it turns out this was a significant variable. And, and that means that people were using the nine to help them make a decision. But then I went back and I started testing a whole bunch of different models to say, what is really going on in the way people make decisions? And, and the reason that this thing works is we, because we are poor subtractors. Hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to test you a little bit, Ed, on the air, if you don't mind. I'll give it my best. I'll give it my best. Let's start with this one. What's 100 minus 99? One. Okay, that was pretty slow, I got to (laughs) say. I'm I'm trying to be thoughtful. I know you're trying to trip me up here, so. (laughs) Okay, what's uh, what's 78 minus 53? Oh, see, this is okay. Uh, 78 minus 53, 5, 50, uh, 23? Uh, it's okay. It was 25, but that's okay. I'm not, 25. I don't really I care. Five and then, okay, 
don't right. really care that you get the answer right. Okay. What's 82 minus 57? Oh God, now I have to carry the one. Okay, stop. Don't worry about it. <laughs> here's, here's, here's what's going on. Is yeah. Imagine that I'm asking you to, to compare two products. One of them okay. costs 78 cents. The other one's 53 cents. You're now saying to yourself, well, which one am I going to go buy? Oh, I'm not going to do that math. That's ridiculous. Why would I ever do that? That looks like it's about a 20 cent difference. Uh, Use the left-hand digits. Right. And then I gave you uh, 82 and 57. Same thing. Looks like 30 cent difference. Turns out both were 25 cents. Right. The exact same difference, but one difference looks much bigger than the other difference. We use the left-hand digit only when it's different. And when it's the same, we shift over and decide we're going to use the right-hand digits. So if you know that everybody's going to ignore your right-hand digits, why wouldn't you always make it a nine? Okay. So that's, that's the thought process behind it. But so, and, and this is, this is where, where I was, was going with this because and I've seen some some recent research that 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 is true. This and this is a very big problem in in the the world today. As we have we hear big numbers coming out of Washington, right? Is that people perceive nine hundred ninety nine million as more than one billion, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, now I'm sort of go. I'm going the other way on you now, right? You are, um, and I and. By the way, I haven't seen the research on this, but I've done a lot of looking into the psychological aspects of pricing. Fascinating topic, as always. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and you know who does a lot of research on that? By the way, are the restaurateurs. They okay. test. Yes. yes. They test price endings and prices all the time to figure out what goes on. And it turns out when you go into a nice restaurant, uh, they'll just write forty-two. There's no right. dot zero zero. It's just forty-two. And it looks less expensive than 42.00. And they do these tests that if you write a number that has a comma, if I write 1,000 with a comma and without a comma, with a comma looks bigger. If I write it with .00, it looks bigger, even though it's the exact same number. And, and these are all things that are going on inside our brains. In, in a lot of ways, it's similar to the price endings because you would say price endings is a psychological aspect as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so because one of the things I noticed is, I, do you remember when Apple Watch first came out? There was that what, what was called the Apple Watch Edition, right? And app, you know, Apple's a great example of why what dr- drove me crazy. Because if you're trying to signal quality, you would say that Apple would be the company that would signal quality. Yet their their products always end in ninety nine, right? Um, at least at at you know hundreds of dollars. I think they actually have four hundred ninety nine dollars even. And I think that's how they, they, they do it. So they're not $499.99, they're $499 even. But the Apple Watch Edition, which is no longer available, by the way, I just checked, it is not available, they took it off, was $17,000. Right? That was the right thing to do. Now, m- mind you, all their products should probably be priced at zero zeros. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so let me tell you why zero zero works for a second, if I may, because yeah. this is pretty cool as well. Um, remember, I was asking you to do subtraction, and I asked you about 100 minus 99. You got it instantly. Yeah. Um, as quick as you can, 400 minus 299. Oh, wow. Okay, 101. Okay. So although that was right, it took a little while. Yeah. What if you just looked at that and said, four or two, that's about half off. That's a pretty good deal, right? 
Mm. So what if that was a $400 original price on sale for $299? I see. Now we're saying, wow, look at the size of that. Way different than $399 on sale for $299. Okay. And, and that's one reason that it makes a lot of sense for us to set our list prices, our original prices at high-end prices, because then our just belows look like it's a bigger discount. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So, so the other one I had for you on this, and I don't know if you noticed this, Ron and I did a show, uh, you know, I want to say three months ago, it was probably six months ago. They're all st- we were talking about this, they're all starting to run together. You know, I can't remember exactly, but it was on, on, on pricing lessons from Starbucks. It was, a, it was an article that we had come across. I don't know if you remember this. And one of the stories that I told during that show, uh, and I just want to get your impression on, because it's still a mystery, is Starbucks has introduced probably now three years ago, four years ago, a new drink called a flat white, which is, uh, it comes over from Australia. It's actually an originally an, an Australian concoction. It's probably closest to a, a, a cappuccino, right? But it's called a flat white. What was interesting about this, Mark, is that it, it, when Starbucks put it on the menu, they only put the price of the tall on the menu and did not have a price for the grande or the, or the venti. Like it was not there. Every other product had those things in there. And you could order a grande or a venti because I tried it. I, another, I'm standing there at Starbucks going fascinating. <laughs> and I, you could order it and they would make it for you. And, they, and it was commiserate with whatever the other drinks were, right? So it would, it would go up in price the same, roughly the same amount, but just is not on the menu. And to this day, it's still not on the menu. So I, I uh, actually asked the, the person who was at the Starbucks who contracted her, the regional manager, right, who got back to me and, and asked me this question. I said, hey, what's going on here? She said, I don't know. Let me check with corporate. Two weeks later, I get a call. This, you're going to love this. That's proprietary marketing information. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> what, so I know I just explained this to you. Do you. Give me your wild guess. What do you think might even be going on with this? Okay. First thing I wanted to say was, I am willing to say, I don't know. Is that okay, fair? Yeah. Okay. No, no, but I want now, you to guess anyway. That's the, that's I'll take a wild guess. My, <laughs> <laughs> my wild guess would have been, um, actually I have a couple, but my first one was maybe they were just test marketing something. And the reason they're test marketing it is they probably get better margin on selling the flat, I'm sorry, the, the tall than they do on selling the other ones. Now, maybe, I don't know that. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and so maybe they're saying, I want more people to go towards the, the tall. Uh, now that I said that out loud, I don't even like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, that's why we want to have a robust discussion here. I got you disagreeing with yourself already. So yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't, I have no good guesses. What's your good guess? I I, I you know I, I have gone through about just about a, any kind of number of different iterations on it, and they actually they did introduce subsequently another drink and did the same thing. I forget what it was called, but that one's no longer available. But the flat white still is. Um, my my uh, guess was is that they just they they that there was a, they had something to do with the concoction of the drink, 
and that it didn't taste quite right according to their specifications at the Grandi and Venti level, hmm. right? And that they, from a quality standpoint, they wanted to steer people to just the tall because that's where, where they felt it, it tastes best from a, from a recipe standpoint. So that was, right. that was one. That's a very right. generous, nice guess. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a nice guess. But and then the, the other the other one was uh, I think I thought that they were getting to the point where they might be introducing alcoholic beverages. I, I don't know if you've seen this. There are now these high end Starbucks things, and I thought it had it might have something to do with that. That they when they began to introduce alcoholic drinks, they didn't think that the tall Grundy Vendi was necessarily a great strategy. <laughs> <laughs> have on menu. so we're teaching them <laughs> yeah 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 so we're getting it we're getting them used to it so that's that that was the thought process but anyway last thoughts on that we got to wrap this segment up but uh, i i thought that was a fascinating thing and i would figure you would be the guy to have an opinion on it so i i tell you what i'm gonna think about it during break and if i come up with a better answer i'll share it but i boy that's just that's a tough one it's weird, right? Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you and I have this in common that we agree that this is a weird thing. All right. Yes. We're gonna get, take our <laughs> take our break now. I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. Of course, the website with show notes and previews to upcoming shows is the soul of enterprise. And and please do pay attention to our calendar, which is out there where you can see where Ron or myself or both of us together are gonna be appearing. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Mark Stiving, author of Impact Pricing. And Mark, I have a theory about the Starbucks uh, flat white pricing. I think they're just trying to, um, you know, let level nine pricing nerds like us geek out and talk about them more <laughs> so they get more publicity. But because I, I can't figure it out otherwise. But if you come up with something, let us know. That, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
in your you talk a lot about i've seen you speak and i in your book as well you talk about customers make two buying decisions explain that for us oh so i think this is the single most fundamental concept in pricing and and most people don't know it and that is our buyers tend to make two decisions the first decision they make is will i buy something in the product category and then after they've said yes to that then they go on to make a which one decision. Now, the reason I find this is such a fundamental concept is most pricing people assume our buyers are making a which one decision. But there are a lot of times when people are only making a will I decision. And what's fascinating is that people are much, much less price sensitive when they're making a will I decision. There's tons of examples of this, but uh, probably the easiest one is popcorn at the movie theater. Right? You walk into the movie theater and, and you look up at the board and say, am I going to take out a mortgage today or not to have popcorn? And, uh, and that's because you don't get to go buy popcorn somewhere else. You can only buy it in the theater once you're there. Um, and so they charge you really high prices for it. We as companies can build products that, pe that are very unique, that people only see our products. I would put the Apple iPhone there. Um, if you've got an Apple iPhone today, you're probably thinking, am I going to upgrade to the new Apple um, iPhone or not? But you're not thinking, am I going to switch to Android? Now, a few people are, don't get me wrong, but most of us, we're just going to buy the next Apple one or we'll skip a generation or two, but eventually we're going to go buy another Apple. And that means we're just making a will I decision. We're choosing, am I going to buy an Apple product or not? And this is one of the reasons why Apple gets away with charging such high prices, because we all just decide we're going to buy from them or not buy from them. It's not a choice. And then there are times where we can have situational will eyes, will I decisions, and think of these as um, uh, what's gas running? You live in you live in Northern California, Ron. So what is that like? Right. Twenty bucks a gallon at this point? Yeah, roughly. It's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> It's like four four twenty or something. Yeah, four twenty. Um, so so you go down the street and you see one station for four twenty. You see another station for eight dollars. There's no chance you're buying gas at the eight dollars station. But then you start driving north and you've driven a couple hundred miles and you see the sign that says last gas seventy five miles. You look down at your tank and it says oh it's almost empty. You pull off and, and gas is selling for eight bucks. Right. You're buying it now you're making a will I decision, not a which one decision. And so I think we as product people should always understand what's the decision our buyer is making. Right. No, it's a great, it's a, I love that distinction. And since will I is less price sensitive than which one, what factors can contribute to, to a will I decision? You mentioned the Apple iPhone. That's obviously innovation, design, brand. What are some of the other things that you can do? Yeah, if we were going to categorize the Will I products for a second, um, we have things like monopolies. Um, obviously, you can only buy electricity from uh, the one electric company in most places. Mm -hmm. um, you've got the radical innovations. Uh, so the very first iPod was certainly fit there. If you've got huge differentiation, so people would only look at your product, they're not really comparing you to somebody else. Um, I would think of something like LinkedIn for recruiters there. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about high switching costs already. So I would put the iPhone with the high switching costs argument. 
And then, uh, and then one that almost every company has the ability to do are options or add-ons, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you've hired that general contractor to come work on your kitchen and he gave you an aggressive quote. And then you decide you wanted a Corian countertop instead of a granite countertop. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That countertop is really expensive because suddenly it's a will I, you're not going to go out and rebid it to multiple different uh, general contractors. Right. So a change request, change order situation would be more of a will I decision. Absolutely. Because they're only going to come to you. Right. That's a great point. You know, you mentioned giving choices to customers and I just went through a bidding process to paint my house externally, um, which is an incredibly laborious process, by the way, but got these bids and not one of them, you guys, not one of them offered options. It was one price, take or leave it. And I couldn't believe it. So what is your view on providing choices, Mark? Do you do do three? Do you, will you use four sometimes? If you ask me, if I'm going to go do a bid, I will almost always tell you to go do three bids. Almost always. And, uh, and the three bids, let's say that I'm going to bid on an RFP for a second. Um, what I'm typically going to do is I'm going to give you something that's slightly less than what you asked for, but a really aggressive price. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to give you pretty much what you asked for, or maybe slightly more than that at, at what I think is probably the best price, the price that you're going to pay me. And then I'm going to offer you an offer that's got amazing stuff in it at a ridiculously high price. And, and that last bid does something wonderful for us. It shows our client, hey, we have all this capability. You could grow up to this if you wanted to someday. And you could trust us because we actually know what we're doing. Um, the low-end product says, if you're going to buy just on price, we're going to win. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm just, I'm flummoxed by these four painting companies that only gave me one price, take it or leave it. I think that's a serious such a serious mistake because it just makes it a binary decision for each one. And it just, it, it's not good pricing at all. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure it's a take it or leave it price, but I don't, I'm not comfortable negotiating with people that are doing work for me. Not that I'm afraid to negotiate. I want them to do good work for me. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Especially when they're going to be hanging out in your house for, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. It's, you know, you're going to get a really, you're going to have a relationship with these people. Um, yes. Yeah. That's great. Uh, no, I really like that. Which one? And um, will I? Well, I think that's a really cool so distinction. Can, can I tie it back to who I think is mostly your audience? Let's just, let's just say it's um, uh, accountant groups or, or lawyer or groups. Professionals, like that. Yep professionals. Okay. Um, I often hear you guys talk about, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to go quote a deal. We're going to quote it based on value. And I think in your mind and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in your mind, you're always assuming it's a will I decision. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and so you're trying to say, yeah, we're the only ones out there and this is how much value we're going to deliver you. But in truth, if you're going to sell bookkeeping services and, and you want to, you could say, look, the bookkeeping, Bookkeeping services keeps you out of jail. This is going to save you a million dollars. You should pay us a million dollars. So you should pay us a hundred thousand for it, not a full million. We're okay. And they say, I get that, but you know, I could hire a bookkeeper down the street for five thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. It isn't really just the will I value. We have to understand the decisions our buyers are making. 
Sure, sure. No, no doubt about it. But just like Apple uses branding and design and innovation, we kind of preach to the professionals to use good, good value conversation skills, asking more beautiful questions, offering value guarantees, unlimited access. So there's more to it. It's building that competitive advantage, those competitive advantages into the price. But yeah, I, I, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. See, we, we do, we always want them to take competition into account, but one of the things we preach is how do we differentiate ourselves from the competition? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we're, th- if there is no competition, then people are using what we'll call value and use. How much inherent value do I get out of using this product? And think about air for a second. How much value do you get out of breathing air? Uh, pretty much infinite, right? It's everything I got. And then there's value and choice. If I have a competitor, how much value am I offering relative to my competition? And if we go back to air for a second, if I want, if I captured some air here and I wanted to sell it to you, you don't want to buy it because you have free air. So air is either worth everything or nothing, depending on if we're talking about value and use or value and choice. Yeah. I I mean, I, I get that distinction, but I don't think it's right. I, I think the Austrians proved with the subjective theory of value that value is holistic and cannot be divisible. I mean, water sells at an incredible premium price. We all need it to live, and I can get it for free at an airport, but I go into a store and pay for it. Yeah, why do you think that is? Convenience. A drinking fountain isn't convenient. I think a bottle of water is more convenient. I can take it onto the plane. I can leave with it. I can drink it on my bike and on a walk with my dog, whatever. Yeah. Okay. I think I'd buy bottles of water because I trust the quality more. Uh, I'm probably wrong, but I trust the quality more in a bottle than I do. Well, 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 it's funny. If you, if you uh, (laughs) check out Penn and Teller's show on this, they did a whole show where they trace the source of most of this bottled water. It's tap water. It's municipal tap water. We pay a fortune for clean tap water. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's probably better than bottled water at the end of the day, but, but look, that's a separate issue. Maybe we'll have you back on. We can talk more about that, but well, um, <laughs> I, I, okay. I wanted to get your take Mark, cause you know, Ed and I have been talking a lot about the subscription business model. I know you've been doing a lot of work in it. You've even worked with somebody you said from Oracle. What do you see out there with the subscription model? What I find fascinating, I had a uh, I had a company who's very successful in subscription call the other day and say, "Hey, could you teach me how to do pricing metrics?" Mm. Now, now this is a basic in subscription pricing, and, and what I find fascinating is that a lot of people are doing this, but very few people actually understand the subscription model, the subscription pricing that goes along with it, and and it's just it's it's fascinating to me that it's it's so misunderstood. Although it shouldn't be because I stand up and teach rooms about value and value-based pricing, and most people don't know that either. So why I think they would understand subscription pricing, I'm not sure. I think the keys to subscription pricing is step one, understand there's three revenue buckets you're now managing, where before it was always, I need to go win new customers. Now we've got three. I gotta go win new customers. I have to keep my customers. And then I have to grow my customers. Um, and so in, typically those are called acquisition, retention, and expansion. Right. And most of the companies who are really successful in subscriptions today, you have to start out in acquisition. You have no choice. 
But as you start to ramp the company, the companies that are really successful focus on that expansion piece really, really well. And, Amazon and once Prime. You, <laughs> yeah, Amazon Prime. Well, Amazon Prime's raising prices. That's one of four ways you have to, to grow your revenue from your current customers. Um, uh, the other ways you can, um, if, you've, if you've chosen the right pricing metric, then as somebody uses more, they're going to pay us more. Mm-hmm. Um, think of using AWS. Think of um, uh, LinkedIn in-mails. How many in-mails you're going to send? Right, right. So these, I, these types of pricing metrics. Right. I was just thinking that the, the Amazon Prime buyer, what is it, spends like seven times more than the non-Prime buyer or something like that. It's, oh, it's just amazing. Yes. Uh, how, how much more? Look, I know Ed's probably got some more questions on that. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. But Mark, thank you so much. Since Ed's going to take us out, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. It's been really fun. And uh, we got to have you back to maybe unpack some of that odd number pricing even more because I'm fascinated with the whole restaurant menu thing. Um, but folks, uh, if you'd like to send Ed or me an email, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And you can also check us out on the Patreon site at ask, or uh, what is it, Ed? Patreon slash TSOE. Yes. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're talking pricing with Mark Stiving today on the Soul of Enterprise. And Mark, in our few few minutes that we have left, I want to to ask you a couple different things. But for, first one I want to talk about was a listener question, uh, Dimitri, for who's coming to us all the way from Russia. So you, the Soul of Enterprise truly has worldwide appeal. And uh, he he's asked this. He says, "Why does Mark Stiving have only one price for his workshop published on his site? Does he believe in <laughs> options?" <laughs> <laughs> good one, Dimitri. Good one. <laughs> oh man. 
Okay. <laughs> Brutal when you have to eat your own dog food. Um, so first, first, I I was an instructor for uh, pragmatic marketing for six years, and I was also their internal pricing coach. And for six years, I tried to figure out how to do good, better, best pricing with our programs. I just couldn't figure it out, make the systems work and everything like that. Um, <laughs> I just launched the new company in January. And uh, please believe me, Dimitri, this will get to where there are multiple options for the, for the products. Today, there is only one. My apologies. <laughs> well, we could, we could workshop it right here, Mark, if you like. That would be <laughs> <laughs> you could offer because uh, Ron and I talk about all the all the time. You could offer a certain amount of follow up after each one. Do you get three months or six months or a year's worth of follow up based on that? Right, it's just an access level agreement after. But uh, so so let me let me let me ask this, and this is what is your thoughts on creating a subscri subscription agreement for impact pricing? Right, just we want would there there might be people who want to subscribe to your company. They want to subscribe to you. I've been I've been studying this and thinking about it a lot, and this is a really hard um, issue. Here's what happens: is I think what I offer to the world is content, right? I offer uh, the knowledge and the ability to do certain things, and if I were to put video classes up and make them available via subscription, you could subscribe for a month, watch them all. Okay, I'm done. I'm off. Now, the other thing that you would get if we had a subscription type program is you know there would probably be weekly mentoring calls not one on one but group calls and and things like that so it may be worthwhile to have a subscription to um, to a pricing organization like this i haven't put it all together in my mind but trust me i am absolutely thinking about it i'm going to figure out how to pull this off <laughs> and and if i could make a suggestion and also also talk about ron and i is have launched our patreon site and that is if you have not seen that technology which is specifically for content creators and allowing different levels of access to the content as you put it up there it's they, they've done a, a fantastic job with that we're we're just dabbling in it just as a as a sample but take a look at that uh, and Oh, go ahead. Do you have a reaction to that? Or no, I was just going to say that I, I've heard you guys talk about it quite a bit, and I've not been there yet. So okay. I'll, I'll I'll go check it out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty good. Um, so I did want to to ask you this though. You were talking about you know the, the Apple. What do you think of the the ability to now and they don't call it this, but it pretty much is the ability to subscribe to an iPhone. Um, I've, I've done it the last three iterations, which is, you know, every year I just get the upgrade, the, the, the phone upgrade whenever it comes out. And it, now it's billed as a lease, but the reality is the way they roll in, in, uh, Apple care to it, it's a subscription. Yeah. I, I think that makes all the sense in the world because they've just got you, um, wrapped in and, and are you paying it monthly or are you paying yep. it once a year? Yeah. Monthly. Yeah. Yep. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, the thing is, you just know, hey, I'm paying for my phone, and and whether you're paying for the last one or the next one, it it's totally irrelevant to you. Mm -hmm. um, I I think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, they've got you locked in in that subscription. You're not locked in, but you you kind of are, and their retention is probably really really high. They're going to have the ability to sell you more over time, and they'll get their expansion up. 
yeah, the brilliance was is, is bundling in Apple Care, in my opinion. That's what really made the difference because it's basically the same quote price for the phone with Apple Care bundled in. So mm-hmm. you now have access to the technical support. Not by the way, that in the I think two and a half years that I've been on it, I've used it once. Haven't. Yeah, I, I had it for a long time and I never used it, so I stopped buying it. <laughs> right. But to me it's 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 a security thing. It's a it's a I I, I want access to it because I know if it's going to be a problem, they'll take care of it. So in, yep. interesting stuff. Uh, I always ask this to pricers, Mark, when when I have them on the show. And I, and in fact, when I originally formulated the question, it came out this way is, do you believe that pricing is an art or a science? Well, everyone says both. So I've, ne- I've, I've changed the question to is if you had to put a percentage on, on this as to whether pricing as art or pricing as science, where would you put those percentages? Where would you say it's, you know, 90% art, 10% and, and why did you give that answer? I would say I would give it much higher art than I would science. And that's because I could teach you a process, but you still have to go through the work to figure out the value statements. Um, I've recently been teaching something I'll call a value table. And if you take any given product feature, it doesn't matter what it is, you put that feature into your product because it solves a problem. Can you articulate the problem from your customer's point of view? And and you have no idea how hard it is for people to do this. And then you say, okay, now what's the result of that? And by the way, here's something else I borrowed from you guys. The value conversation, oh my gosh, that was so valuable that I learned from you. I, I modified that, put it into the product world, and I teach people how to have value conversations so I can figure out the value of a feature in the B2B world. Um, and, and once you can teach those pieces, then someone can actually get to how much value is my client going to get. The process is pretty straightforward. Doing the work is really hard. I think it's way more art than it is science. Cool. Yeah. So, and, and I was going to come back to that and we've only got about uh, two minutes left, but you know, you, you, you were saying that, that in listening to the, the show, you felt that we were more about a, um, will I decision. I have to tell you that my background is to, is selling accounting systems, accounting implementations mm-hmm. to people. And it, it, it actually was not. So my background is m- far more which one where they were, they were making a comparison between should we buy a Sage product or we should we buy Microsoft or SAP? Uh, so they, it, it was a combination. Now they were also buying services or, or access to knowledge really in, in, in that was in, involved in that, but it was definitely a, 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 a which one component. And I found the stuff that we talked about on the value conversation, especially those things that I mentioned with Mahan Khalsa, right? The, the notion of those five golden questions to be the differentiator in and of itself. The very fact that we were asking those questions is what differentiated us from everybody else. It, it shows that you cared about the client and you cared about their value and what they were going to get from the product. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think the value conversation was, has got to be the single best episode of yours. I heard it, it was, it was truly transformational. Well, cool. Well, thanks. And we'll, we'll, we'll put a, a, a link into that in the show notes, but unfortunately, Mark, we are all, all out of time here on the soul of enterprise, but on behalf of Ron and myself, want to thank you so much for appearing today. This was a, hopefully this will be like your favorite episode number two. Now <laughs> 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 thank certainly you your mom's, your mom's favorite episode. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, we're going to do memorable mentors and going to dive into some of Tom Peters' work, Ed. Oh, great. All right. Can't wait to do that. See you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, and we'll be talking about Tom Peters' work. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com, and if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at barrisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you, Mark, and have a great weekend.